the lyrics got a new song for the Talking <laughs> Tolkien podcast. I do not have a new song for the Talking Tolkien. You were just doing it. I forgot it. No, I don't know if I forgot that. It goes something like, "We're gonna talk Tolkien." <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Tolkien. Ah. Uh, <laughs> when I did that. I see what you did there. If you have a guest right now, or, or by now, you might not have guessed it right now, but before now, you're you're listening to Talking Tolkien. I'm David. I'm Lyric. And I can't remember when this was, but like a while back, I was like, man, I hope we can get to like the end of Fellowship of the Ring by the end of the year. And looking at our recording history, today we're recording this on October 3rd, and our last episode that we recorded was on September 15th. Oh man! If there is a way to like promote so a <laughs> promote a podcast and to grow your audience, we are doing the opposite of that. <laughs> like one of those like key rules of growing a podcast is like be consistent, post a lot, interact all the time, and we're posting less. We are less active. Do you still only have like the the six episodes in the sidebar so, yeah. on, the, on the Tolkien it's, Tumblr? It's on my to do list to fix it. Sure. One day. Yeah. We chose exactly like the right podcast for the wrong time. Yes. If you're wondering why are we like saying all this stuff, it's because it's getting close to baby time. Mm-hmm. We're we're about like two months away from baby Three time. Three months. Three mm-hmm. months. Oh, yeah. I can't add. <laughs> We're not having a kid in December. No. Well, we might have a kid in December. I hope we have a kid in December. Because insurance. Yeah. <laughs> but, anyway, y'all didn't tune in for that. Y'all tuned in for some Tolkien. And, spoiler alert, they're taking the ring to Mordor. Yes, but they are not yet taking the hobbits to Isengard. No. <laughs> in fact, they're specifically trying to avoid Isengard because... At first, I mean, there's no really good way to get to Mordor. Like, Mordor is like the big, bad, evil black land. But, like, there's not really even, like, a good way to get to Mordor. There's not, like, an interstate that goes straight to Mordor? No. Oh. No. And, in fact, like, they, there's another, like, not nearly as long of a delay as the delays in the narrative keep getting shorter. Because at first it was 17 years. And... Then it was five months, and now it's only two months. But at least this delay was somewhat reasonable. The delay when they were at Rivendell? Yeah. About? Yeah. That was just, like, until Elrond could find out all the information that he needed, wasn't it? Yeah. So they, like, send out several groups of people, and Aragorn's part of the, part of them, and they scope out, bleh, they scope out as far as they can, and... If I'm remembering correctly, they basically are like, yeah, just just go. Well, because, like, first of all, you, like, you start the chapter with the hobbits kind of talking about everything that happened during the Council of Elrond. Mm-hmm. And Merry and Pippin are basically like, that's not fair. Why does Sam get to go? <laughs> Which is kind of <laughs> stupid, because, like... You realize you're going on a dark and perilous quest to Mordor. Gandalf tells them that they're stupid. <laughs> yeah. Where where was the line? Um Oh goodness, where was it? Oh, uh, I can't find it. I didn't highlight it. Oh, it's it's somewhere in here. Yeah, yeah. Gandalf basically was it was it Pippin that he talks to 
and he's like, hey, don't be envious. You're going on a trip to Mordor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a little bit of a of a um kind of a par parlay's not the right word, but a little like kind of like a little mini post council wrap up. Yeah. And you know, they're basically kind of have to stay put in Rivendell until all those scouts can find whatever it is that they're trying to find in order to chart a really good course to go into Mordor. Yeah, but like kind of like you said earlier, there is no real good course to go into Mordor. No. Like, yeah. Like I don't we don't really ever hear like what the scouts actually come back with. No. But it's sort of implied that it's probably not good news. No, the only um the only thing that I highlighted um there are, there are a couple things I highlighted out of the section where they're talking about the two months where the hobbits stay put while these scouts go out. The first is that Radagast the Brown is not at his house. Like, mm -hmm. he's nowhere to be found. Well, which, I mean, kind of makes sense. Because, like, when Gandalf saw him however long ago, he was just kind of, like, wandering around in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they also don't find any track of the Black Riders. So they're they're basically find out that like the horses drowned and their disguises are off and now they're just so now they're guess, just like invisible dudes running back to Sauron. Yeah, they're going back to Sauron to I guess give him a report or something and maybe to like get new cloaks so that they can start all over again. I like to think that they probably have to stop in at just like a random like whatever Middle Earth's version of Target is. And pick up some new cloaks for themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That was a joke. You didn't laugh, but it was no. a joke. <laughs> well, I was trying to listen and, like, read the next part <laughs> as well. Although I did figure out it would make sense that it would be the, uh, the target. Why would it be the target? Think about it. What does the target bullseye look like? Oh, because it looks like a big eye and that's, like, a thing. Yes. Yeah. There's a lot. There's a, a a good line on page two seventy four, um, just before we get the little recap about um, all of the uh, the scouts going down south. Um, is talking about like what it's like for Frodo. Um, let's see. What what did I say? Um, I'll just read the whole paragraph for context. So it, it says. So the day slipped away as each morning dawned bright and fair, and each evening followed cool and clear. But autumn was waning fast. Slowly the golden light faded to pale silver, and the lingering leaves fell from the naked trees. A wind began to blow chill from the misty mountains to the east. The hunter's moon waxed round in the night sky and put put to flight all the lesser stars. But lo, in the south one star shone red. Every night as the moon waned again, it shone brighter and brighter. Frodo could see it from his window, deep in the heavens, burning like a watchful eye that glared above the trees on the brink of the valley. That's not good. No. <laughs> I put right here nice foreshadowing, although that could also just be Mars. Do they have Mars in Middle-earth? Sort of. I mean, the stars are technically the same, but um, they, like, have their own mythological explanation within Tolkien's universe. Uh, like, what, like, the whole the whole thing about Arendil, uh, Elrond's dad, is that, like, he sails across the stars. In a rocket ship? No. Like, it's, it's mythological. Oh. How did he get there? 
he's he's an elf who like is like sailing the stars and that's kind of like their explanation for like I don't know if it's a constellation or a star but there's a, there's like explanations for like several stuff with the stars in universe. Oh. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, they don't have rocket ships in Middle Earth. I don't know, maybe the elves do. The elves seem really like ahead of their time. Mm-hmm. Not really. They don't seem ahead of their time at all. That was a dumb thing to say. Yeah, they're they're That's... very much in their time. Yeah, no, the elves are not. They're they're, they're magical and actually they're behind their times because magic's going out of out of fashion. Yeah. Also, we'll get to this later. Legolas is a bit of a jerk at times. What? <laughs> a pretentious elf? Yeah, I've never I heard know, of such right? A thing. Okay, so anyway, so finally, like, winter comes, or winter is coming. Like, I guess if you're like a Game of Thrones fan, I think that means something. But <laughs> yeah, there's there's something big about winter with, you know. I don't watch Game of Thrones, so I don't know. With Sean Boromir. Yeah. Stark. I I also have more thoughts about Boromir when we get to Boromir. Yeah. But anyway, so winter is coming and basically Elrond calls uh, Frodo up and he's like, you probably need to leave. And Sam's a little bit grumpy about it because Sam doesn't really want to leave in the middle of winter, which who can blame him? No. And, but Elrond basically tells them that they're going to send out nine of them because there are nine... Um, black riders, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so Elrond basically picks Frodo and Sam, mm-hmm. Gandalf, yep, Aragorn, yep, Boromir, yeah, Gimli the Dwarf, mm-hmm. and Legolas. Yes, and originally he's gonna send like two more of his house until Merry and Pippin complain about it. Yeah, and then Merry and Pippin are like, "Well, that's not fair." Yeah, and there there's a good line, um, if I can find it, on um, on page 276, where um, I'll just read the part where Pippin's complaining. He says, but that will leave no place for us, cried Pippin in dismay. We don't want to be left behind. We want to go with Frodo. That is because you do not understand and cannot imagine what lies ahead, said Elrond. Neither does Frodo, said Gandalf, unexpectedly supporting Pippin. Nor do any of us see clearly. It is true that if these hobbits understood the danger, they would not dare to go. But they would still wish to go, or wish that they dared, and be shamed and unhappy. I think, Elrond, that in this matter it would be well to trust rather to to their friendship than to great wisdom. Even if you chose for us an elf lord such as Glorfindel, he could not storm the Dark Tower, nor open the road to the fire by the power that is in him. Well, yeah, but I mean, you might stand a better chance against Black Riders if you had Glorfindel with you. Wasn't Glorfindel the one that rescued them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that was the the like whole point of like why the Black Riders didn't just like automatically like overtake them because like he was an elf lord in his wrath and fury. Yeah. The other one being he had an awesome horse. <laughs> but also just just before, uh, um. Elrond concedes to having Pippin and Merry go on the quest. I thought that uh, there was an interesting line on page 275 where they're saying, all right, you need to send, we need to send the, uh, the, the Fellowship of the Ring out, although they don't yes, use that word. There finally is a Fellowship of the Ring. Yes. It only takes what? There's, we're in chapter three in book two, and there were 12 in 
book one, I think. Let me. Took two hundred and seventy-five pages. Two hundred and seventy-five pages into Fellowship of the Ring for there to be a Fellowship of the Ring. Yes. But that being said, um, I like the sentence here on two seventy-five. Uh, the shadow has crept now to the feet of the mountains and draws nigh even to the borders of the gray flood and under all and under the shadow all is dark to me. Um, Elrond has the gift of foresight, and this is kind of like his Yoda with Darth Vader moment where it's like clouded his future is. <laughs> Although Elrond doesn't talk like that, and this is actually like legit because Sauron's power is like spreading out from Baradur. And I'm wondering here, too, if the shadow, if, like, Lyric, you read the shadow to be literal or if you met, read it to be figurative. I read it to be literal. Yeah. I read that there's almost, like, a literal, like, shadow kind of moving across the land. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think some of that comes into play a little bit, which I guess we'll talk about when we get there. But when they're, like, um, coming near to the foot of the mountain... And they talk about how, like, this is a place where, like, elves used to live, and there used to be, like, animals and stuff that lived there. And then Aragorn's like, yeah, but there's nothing here now. Like, everything has, like, vacated this land. Yeah. Yeah, so. There are a lot of barren lands in Middle-earth. Yeah, there are. I guess there just aren't a lot of, like, living creatures in Middle-earth. Or at least not well, a lot like, of civilization. Because, like, all the elves are leaving. Yeah. Like, the elves are, like, slowly trickling out, and it seems like all of, like, the human kingdoms aren't doing great. No. And so, like, I mean, you've got the hobbits, but, I mean, I, they don't seem like they're setting themselves up to rule the earth or anything. Not really. So. Yeah, because, you know, one of the big themes of, of the book, and one of the reasons why Aragorn and Boromir are going with them, is because the kingdoms of men are in a diminishing sa state. And um, Aragorn is going to return the sword that was broken to Gondor in like kind of like a last rallying cry of hope um, for kind of like the restoration of the kingdoms of men or whatever. But like there's like the height of the kingdom of men was like 3000 years ago by this point. And like several generations after Isildur, the northern kingdom broke up. And in Gondor, it's just, it's been ruled by a steward for however long. Yeah. So, you know, those two big kingdoms are in decline. The big, like, island of Numenor, where, like, the great kings of men were from, is sunk into the sea. No one knows what's up with Rohan, <laughs> and Sauron's basically, like, kind of chasing everybody out of their lands. Yeah. So you mentioned Aragorn is taking the sword that was broken to Gondor. Yeah. But he fixes it first. Yes. So it's it's established earlier on that Aragorn spends a lot of time hanging out with the elves. Yes. Why did he never fix the sword before? It wasn't time. But like you could have fixed it. It wasn't time. Is that is that literally the only reason? Like basically like there there's this kind of like whole like mythos around like guess what? I don't know if it's like a fulfillment of a literal prophecy, yeah. But maybe just some sort of like legend or like I've like it's not necessarily like useful as much as like a practical sword as much as it is a symbol of like the legitimacy of the Gondorian kingdom. It's kind of like wearing your crown before your coronation. Okay, but like, what was stopping him 
from like so, okay okay so i guess my question is like why now is that a dumb question am i forgetting something from a previous chapter i i honestly have no idea because like, like what prevented him from getting the elves to fix his sword and taking it down to gondor when he wasn't also part of this like perilous quest to get this ring destroyed Oh, no. Like it seems like that would have made more sense, just from from a planning perspective, for Aragon's Aragorn's life. I keep calling him Aragon. He's not Aragon. We should do a podcast on Aragon. Oh, I would hate it. <laughs> Maybe would you hate would it. love it. Maybe I I have a feeling I would hate it. <laughs> Maybe you would love it. I loved it when I was sixteen. Well, yeah. would you love it at twenty seven? I don't know. I loved a lot of things at sixteen that I still love at twenty seven. That's true. Yeah. Um. I mean, that's also a question, like, why none of his... Because this was passed down as an heirloom throughout, like, the Northern Kingdoms. And, again, I have no real idea as to why the sword that was broken was not remade before and taken down and him basically, like, claiming his kingdom. But I think that the reason he decides... like having like being in the situation he is in now and the reason that he decides to do it now is because there's there's a great need for like a faith in kings and there's a great need for like all men to rise up against this great like great evil power it's kind of like you like will read history and wonder like why didn't you do that before when it was a lot easier and it just seems that like dark times and like great opponents rise people up to the challenge whereas in like times of prosperity or where the needs needs not great they're like oh i'll do yeah yeah i guess i can accept that all right so what happens next so what happens next is uh as the elvish smiths are working on uh aragorn's sword uh aragorn meets with gandalf and they they walked together or sat speaking of their road and the perils they would meet, which just sounds like a cheery conversation. Um, sometimes Frodo hangs out with them, but mostly Frodo is hanging out with Bilbo, who mm-hmm. keeps giving him stuff. Yeah. Um, basically, Bilbo's like, hey. So basically, Bilbo has like a Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban moment when like after the the Quidditch match with Hufflepuff, all of Harry's friends like follow him up to the hospital wing and they're like, Hey, we got your broom. Bad news. <laughs> it hit the whomping willow and we can't fix it. Um, Bilbo basically says that he pulls out Frodo's sword and he's like, Hey, it's broken. Was going to fix it, but forgot. So take mine. Yes. To be fair though, Bilbo's sword's a lot better. Yeah. Because, <laughs> like, it glows blue when there are orcs around. Which is handy. And it's a, like, I mean, it's, the elves consider it a knife because they're really tall. But to a, a hobbit, it's it's a functional sword. Yeah. And there is something to be said about, like, the elvish smiths and their ability to, like, I mean, it was an elvish smith, Celebrimbor, that made the first three rings. Mm-hmm. So it's got magical properties to it. That's kind of an awesome gift. But is it in this one where he um, also gives him the mithril coat? Or was that in an earlier chapter? No, that is actually in this chapter. That's what he gives him right after he gives him Sting the sword. Because mm-hmm. um, Frodo at first doesn't want to take uh, the mail. The mail. It's like a mail shirt. It's not like letters. It's like, you know, chain mail, I guess. I guess. Yes. Um, <laughs> 
but Frodo doesn't want it at first because he basically says, I don't think it would look right on me. And Bilbo's like, no, you wear it under your clothes. No one else will notice. I'll feel better if you wear it. Yeah. It's kind of like the safety thing that your mom's like, you know, like, I know you don't like it, but I'll feel better if you take this with you. Yeah. <laughs> also, for anybody who doesn't uh, know what Mithril is, Mithril is, I mean, lyric alluded to is like a chain mail, but it's specifically made by dwarves. And it's like the toughest type of chain mail that you can have, but it also has somewhat of a magical property to it because it's not very heavy. Mm-hmm. And I like the line that uh, Bilbo says to Frodo on page 278. Um, where he says, uh, just a plain hobbit you look, but there is more about you than appears on the surface. And I put, I see what you did there. Uh. <laughs> because that's basically the story of hobbits, is that they're they're tougher than than you would think. Yes. But I don't, I'm not sure if that's intentional or just an outworking of, of Tolkien's creativity. Maybe a little bit of a mix of both. Yeah. Like, I mean, that that is true of all the hobbits that we actually get to know. Yeah. Which is actually a very small percentage of hobbits. Right. But I guess that's true of any story. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> You're not like, oh man, we've met the majority of humans in <laughs> this story. Um, I also think that it's, um, yeah, I mean, it's not just true of all, of these hobbits in particular, but in, in concerning hobbits, Tolkien said that, I mean, one of the hobbits defining traits is that they have a love of comfort, but they're tough as nails when you get when you get down to it because they just want to hold on to that so much. Yeah. So that's kind of I think that's kind of cool. Also kind of obvious. But, you know, it's just another weaving of that theme into the story. <laughs> yeah. What do you think of the song? Actually, I did not mind the song. No, no. I think the songs grow on me a little bit. So because we had such a long gap in between recording episodes, I read this chapter like four times. I've only read it once. <laughs> so I feel like the song kind of like grows on you a little bit, like as you, if you read it more. Yeah. So maybe I should just try and read every chapter four times now. Yeah. It's also a lot shorter. It's only, uh, it's only six stanzas. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, I, I'm having trouble like, naming the with like the like the rhythm and meter of it is offhand but it's um you know basically an a b a b rhyme scheme and uh you know, the first line of it goes i sit beside the fire and think of all that i have seen of meadow flowers and butterflies and summer that have summers that have been i'm trying to pronounce that british um, it's like it's a very sad song mm-hmm. but yeah, yeah. I, I didn't mind it as much as i mind like you know the eight page like epic poetry that you get on in some chapters yeah yeah I, this is gonna sound a little weird but going with the theme of like uh the shire kind of being a little bit like appalachia mm-hmm. it kind of reminds me of rocky top in the sense that like when you read it it has kind of like a cheery kind of like meter to it and it kind of sounds like down home and folksy but in the end it's like really 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 sad rocky top isn't sad Rocky Top is very sad. He's basically saying, like, I wish I was back on all, all Rocky Top, but it's basically, I can't go back there anymore. That's true of, like, a lot of Appalachian songs, too. Yeah, I mean, that's true, but I've never been sad while listening. Well, I've probably been sad while You were sad watching the Georgia game I, last week. Yeah, we're, for anyone who, does, who doesn't know, we're pretty big Tennessee Vols fans, and so I've definitely been sad while listening to Rocky Top. That's pretty <laughs> much been the entirety of my Tennessee fandom. 
because last week Tennessee beat Georgia 41 to nothing. And then at the end of the game, the band was required by law <laughs> to play Rocky Top after they'd just been smacked when all over the field. football season, Rocky Top makes me very happy. This is true. It's just during football season when they're, you know, losing 41 to zero. Yeah, my brother, who's a Kentucky fan, will say like, you know, I'm not a I'm not a Tennessee fan, but you know, if I went to the school, I'd go woo. <laughs> anyway, this isn't a UT football podcast, thank goodness. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, it would also be if it were a UT podcast, it would be very ill informed. Like as much as I watch sports, I know so little about everything that goes on. No, I, Tennessee is bad right now. Um, anyway, so they leave. <laughs> Yeah. Can I point out one more thing? One more thing before they do. Yes. They, they leave. Go ahead. I like the stanza in the song where it says, you know, for still there are so many things that I have never seen in every wood and every spring. There is a different green. Yeah. That's that's like a very, very pretty stanza. It is. And like it honestly reminds me of the comment that um, that the doctor makes to. Well, really, no one. I guess like a sleeping child, Amy Pond at the end of uh, the Big Bang, mm -hmm. where he's like talking about the color of the TARDIS and he's like, it's the bluest kind of blue. Yeah. And it's just like uh, that, that kind of I image of like, it's not just one green. There's so many different kinds of green in different forests. Like, mm -hmm. I like that type of imagery. Anyway, they leave. They do leave. Um, it's winter and they leave. Um, and as they're setting out, Boromir is like, hey, look at my horn, and then blows it, and then Elrond's like, don't do that, and Boromir's like, shut up, Elrond, I'll blow my horn when I want to, but yeah, you're right, I won't do it again. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of funny, because, like, the, the, on page 279, the, there's a, there's a page break, um, you know, right after Elrond's like, hey, Sauron's watching you. He has eyes everywhere. He's basically omnipresent. Be very, very careful. And then, like, three paragraphs later, <laughs> Boromir is just, like, trying to show off. Which I also think is funny in the context of the opening line after the page break, where it says, The company took little gear of war, for their hope was in secrecy, not in battle. Well, no one told Boromir with his dang horn. <laughs> no, and that's also kind of, like, so becoming of Boromir, because he's used to, like, fending off a bunch of orcs and fighting off in Osgiliath in open warfare, and he, um, he's not um, used to, like, riding around in secret and basically doing the ranger task that Aragorn does literally every day. I feel like Boromir almost has, like, a Ron Swanson-type moment after he after Elrond like kind of like tells him not to do that I'm interested to hear what you mean by this because Boromir is like but always I have let my horn cry at setting forth and though thereafter we may walk in the shadows I will not go forth as a thief in the night it's just like he's he's like I understand that we have to be secret but that is not my way of doing things so I shall blow my horn <laughs> and it's like the stupidest thing like, that's rivaling waiting in the Shire for five months after Gandalf literally told you, hey, there's this dark lord that's chasing you, and and you know Gollum, he gave up your name, and he knows there is a Shire now? Yep. This, the That's second comparison to, like, hey, so Sauron has eyes everywhere, your journey's gonna be more perilous the closer you get to there, and, like, we're literally not gonna fault you if you wanna quit, because... 
this is very, very, very hard. And Boromir's <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> His horn doesn't sound like that. No, that's what the opening of Survivor sounds like. <laughs> that's the second time today. Well, stop making Survivor sounds, David. <laughs> I'm sorry, Lyric. <laughs> Anyway, so Boromir blows his horn, and everyone in, like, a million-mile radius probably hears it, and they set out. Um, oh, and they take Bill the Pony with them. Yeah. Which is, which is nifty. It's nifty, and also kind of, like, like, I feel bad for Bill. Bill wanted to go. That's true. That's what Sam says. He says that Bill would have followed them. But then later on, Sam's like, ah, oh, Bill, you should have stayed in Rivendell. <laughs> Part of me thinks that Sam is making that up, but also it wouldn't shock me if Bill's like, you took the other hobbit, why don't you take your pony? Because I am imagining that, like, Bill has a Sam Elliott type of low voice. I imagine that Bill is basically little Sebastian. (laughs) To stick with the Parks and Rec references here. I like here... This descript the the description of like what all they uh, carried with them. This goes from page two seventy nine to two eighty. It begins with Gimli the dwarf alone op- wore openly a short uh, a short shirt of steel rings for dwarves made light of burdens and his belt was a broad bladed axe. Legolas had a bow and quiver and his be- and at his belt uh, a long white knife. The younger hobbits wore the swords that they had taken from the barrow, but Frodo only took seeing in his mail coat. As Bilbo wished, remain hidden. Gandalf bore his staff, but at his girt, um, but girt at his side was the elven sword Glamdring, the mate of Orcrus that lay now upon the breast of Thorin under the lonely mountain. I have never had luggage that has had so much significance to it. Right. <laughs> Imagine like David checked into the Marriott, presenting his, you know, white sheet of paper signed by his mom to get the associate rate <laughs> and he carried with him the blue bag of lyric which had gone overseas into Gdansk Poland and back again well usually when I travel like I don't take stuff that's like really important to me because I'm like well I don't want to lose it so like I feel like I would be the moron that would be like I'm gonna leave my good sword home I don't want anyone to steal it <laughs> while I'm on the road <laughs> And you definitely wouldn't be like, look, here's my sword. Yeah, I wouldn't be blowing my horn and be like, look at my sword. <laughs> hmm. I also like the description here on 280 about Bill. It yeah. Says, the stay in Rivendell had worked a great wonder of change on him. He was glossy and seemed to have the vigor of youth. It was Sam who had insisted on choosing him, declaring that Bill, as he called him, would pine if he did not come. See? I told you. Yes. <laughs> but then also later on down in the next paragraph, so Bill was going as the beast of burden, yet he was the only member of the company that did not seem depressed. See, Bill wanted to go. Because <laughs> Bill didn't have to, like, be, you know, Bill Fernie's pony anymore. That's true. I mean, to, I, again, I haven't read beyond this chapter, but I mean, Bill does, it does kind of suck for Bill later on in, like, the snowy nest, but we'll get to that. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So anyway, 
that we're about halfway through this podcast, we probably need to speed it up a little bit. <laughs> well, maybe a little bit. Actually, we said like, oh, and they leave. And actually, like the parts that we're really leaving are not them leaving. That's them getting ready to leave. Right. Yeah. I think I was kind of flipping ahead and I was like, oh, that's where they leave. That's not where they leave. No. They leave like a page later. They're kind of like gathering because they're just, you know, waiting on Gandalf, who's just kind of like, you know, taking his sweet old time. Okay. I have a question. All right. So. In the movies, I was led to believe many years ago that, like, Liv Tyler does something in these books. Liv Tyler's character showed up for one scene, and now they have left Rivendell. Yep. And she is not with them. Nope. She did not speak, I don't think. Nope. She did nothing. Yep. But she's, like... Does, does her role get, like, beefed up in the movie, or did they, like, massively, like, oversell a cameo? Well, if Or we, does more happen later? I was gonna say, all of those are distinctive possibilities, because as Star Wars has shown us, overselling a cameo drives people to the box office. <laughs> Mark Hamill. <laughs> I make fun, but I love that movie. That's a very good movie. Yeah. Force Awakens, that's what we're talking about. Mark yeah. Hamill actually plays a significant role in the original <laughs> Star Wars films. A New Hope. He's basically a glorified cameo. <laughs> no, that's not true. Although, every time I mention Mark Hamill, I think of your parents, like, remembering who Mark Hamill is, but forgetting who Harrison Ford is. Yeah. Is that Mark Hamill? No. No, that's Harrison Ford. You know, the famous one. The one who was in Indiana Jones and who was Jack Ryan and who did like a bajillion different other things. <laughs> that Mark Hamill. Anyway, they leave finally. Yes. Right? I think we've finally gotten there. Yes. Well, again, I keep delaying us because <laughs> I'm apparently a hobbit, but there are some lines that I like that need to be pointed out. Okay. So, I again, Elrond's reiterating. That, you know, the further you go, the less easy it will be to withdraw, yet no oath or bond is laid on you to go further than you will. For you do not know yet know the strength of your hearts, and you will you cannot foresee um, what each may uh, meet upon the road. Faithless is he that says farewell when the road darkens, said Gimli. Maybe, said Elrond, but let him not, not, let him not vow to walk in the dark who has not yet seen the nightfall. Yet sworn war, word may strengthen quaking hearts, said Gimli. Or break it. Like, man, like, Elrond's seen it all, and he's like, no, like, don't make a vow. Just go. Just go. If you want to quit, you can quit. You can quit. Because, and, and again, no one would blame you because you're walking into Mordor. Yeah. Not simply because you can't do that. I don't know. No one told me that I couldn't simply walk into Mordor. That is a line written by either Fran Walsh, Philip Boyens, or um, Peter Jackson. Oh. Okay, I'm assuming those are the three names. Yes. And one of them's a director. Well, yes, I know who Peter Jackson is. He was going to direct an episode of Doctor Who. Was he really? There was a lot, there was a huge rumor of that. Oh. But they would have to move it to New Zealand because Peter Jackson's just kind of like, yeah, I'm not moving. I don't really follow Doctor Who rumors. I just watch the show and it's fun. Yeah, not on right now. No. Anyway. All right, keep the lane. They leave. <laughs> I'm not saying it again. I've said it like four times. They leave. <laughs> yeah, it says 
<laughs> to make the definitive break. Then, with one last glass of the last homely house twinkling below them, they strode away far into the night. Away! They are gone from Rivendell. We made it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so, like, they set out, and they just walk a lot. Like, it's cold, and it's windy, and there are clouds everywhere, and it's generally just, like, really unpleasant, it sounds like. Yeah, it's 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 basically like you know you're walking out in the middle of the wilderness and there's nobody there, and they're heading to a place called Holland, uh, where it says many elves lived here in happier days when Aregion was its name. Five and forty leagues as the crow flies, we have come. Though many, I guess I'm quoting Gandalf now. I just saw the underlined portion and didn't realize yes, the quotation. This is yeah, this is Gandalf. Um, five and forty leagues as the crow flies, we have come. Though many uh many miles further our feet have walked. The land and the weather uh, will be milder now, but perhaps all the more dangerous. And I'm like, nope. Like, the land and the weather are not going to be milder now. No, they're not. Like, it, the opposite of that is what happens. Yes. Um, because, so I was, I was a little confused about this. Basically, are the mountains sentient? They don't really, like, talk about Because that it. seems to be what, like, Gimli implies. Mm-hmm. Is that like, okay, so basically I don't want to skip too far ahead because we'll, we'll just end up backtracking ourselves. Yeah. Um, so basically they are heading towards these mountains, which each have like seven names. Yeah. Like every mountain has like a billion names. And so they're heading for this one mountain called Karadras? Karadras. Karadras. Okay. And... Yeah. Yes, yeah, to make it easier, we're going to call it the Redhorn Pass, because that's the actual route they're taking over the mountain. Okay, so they're trying to take the Redhorn Pass over the mountain, but Gimli seems to imply that, like, the mountain itself is not going to be happy about it. Well, yeah, because he, he starts naming off the uh, the mountains, and he says, Yonger sends Baranzabar, the Redhorn, Cruel Caradhras, and beyond them are Silvertine and Cloudyhead. Kelebdil the White and Ferindahol the Grey, that we call Zirak Sigil, and Bunda Shatathur. <laughs> there the Misty Mountains divide. <laughs> and between. Oh, there are even more names, yes. And between yeah. their arms lies the deep shadowed uh, valley that we cannot for, which we cannot forget. Uh, Azan Bulzabar, Azan Nolbazar, the Dimraldale, which the elves called Nanduhirion. Yes. <laughs> there are lots of, like, big, long words. Lots of names. But they're they're taking care of us. They're taking the Redhorn Pass. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. So they head towards the Redhorn Pass. Um, but they have a bit of a, um, a bit of a scare, I guess you could say, along the way. Because... Sam and Aragorn are on watch mm-hmm. while everyone else falls asleep. And you have these birds that appear. Yes. And that are, I guess, evil spy birds. Yep. And Aragorn's like, well, that's not cool. Guess we're going into the mountains now. Yeah. Because of the evil spy birds. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a huge debate because, again, like what we hear in Council of Elrond is that, like, Balin. And a bunch of other dwarves go into Moria 
And Gimli's like, let's go there. Like, I'll get to see Balin again. And we'll get to, like, stay in, like, the dwarf hotel. And we'll get to eat a lot. And it'll be great. And, every like, anybody who's, like, been close to there or been near there is like, no, this is, like, terrible. And, like, there have been, like, really bad rumors. And you haven't heard from him in a very, very long time. 30 years. Yeah. He's dead. <laughs> Don't know that yet. He's dead. <laughs> Well, maybe dead ballin'. <laughs> and anyway, everyone's kind of like, let's not go through Moria. Yeah. And the birds above are kind of like, you know, basically signaling that the mountains are being watched. And if you try going that way, there's a likelihood that it's going to get back to Sauron. Right. Um, And so at that point, it's decided that they have no choice but to go over the Redhorn Gate. Or the Redhorn Pass? Redhorn Gate. You can call it either either one of them. It's just called the Redhorn. Okay. I did want to point out, too, like, something interesting that Aragorn says, um, uh, like, on page 274, where he basically says that, um, you know, he can't, he, like, Aragorn's very good at detecting sounds because of his ranger skills, mm -hmm. and he can't hear anything. He says that there is no sound for miles about us, and your voices seem to make the ground echo. I do not understand it. And that, um, you know, he says, Gandalf asks him, is there more in it than surprise at seeing four hobbits, not to mention the rest of us, where people are not so seldom seen or heard? Um, he said, I hope that that is it, answered Aragorn, but I have a sense of watchfulness and of fear that I have never had here before. So, also he's, Gandalf says, um, we must stop talking aloud, which I wrote, man, what a terrible trip this is. Yeah. You're gonna walk a long way, you're gonna eat terrible food, you're gonna be under constant watch of spies, oh, and you can't even, like, talk to pass the time. And can you imagine what, like, the hobbits must be feeling at this point? Because, like, Back when they were in the Shire, they had, like, walking songs where they were just like, Hey, hi, I'm walking now, going on a trip. Probably better than that. Yeah, but, yeah, no, I mean, you're, you're definitely right. Like, that sounds absolutely miserable. Like, it would be miserable if you could talk to each other. I don't even like talking to people. But, like, I feel like as soon as Gandalf would be, like, as soon as Gandalf was like, Hey, you must stop talking aloud. Like, all of a sudden, there would be something that I absolutely had to say to, like, Mary and Pippin. And it would drive me crazy until Gandalf let me talk again. And you couldn't text on your Middle-Earth iPhone. I know. Because that's probably being tracked, too. Yeah. <laughs> Turn the location services <laughs> off. Um, so, anyway, so they, so they see the birds. And it's decided that they have to move out as quickly as possible. Which the hobbits are again not too happy about. No. Um. Yeah, uh, one of the lines I underlined on page two eighty five is when after Pippin says that he was looking forward to a hot meal, Gandalf tells him, "You can go on looking forward." Then, um, he says, "For myself, I should like a pipe to smoke in comfort and warmer feet. However, we are certain of one thing at any rate: it will get warmer as we go south. Too warm, I shouldn't wonder." muttered Sam to Frodo. Well, yeah, you're going to a volcano. <laughs> yeah, it reminds me of those, like, like, kind of snarky Christian comments that you would get, where it's just like, 
you think she's hot? Well, it's hot in hell. <laughs> and that's what, like, it's just sort of like, although in, in, in Gandalf's case, it's just this kind of, like, sort of morbid sense of humor yeah. of, like, somebody who's seen, like, a lot of stuff go down. And he's just like, I've got to crack jokes about it because, like, this is actually pretty terrifying and I'm, like, a pretty powerful wizard. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, so they stay in hiding. The birds come back a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Um, but then they finally head towards the mountain. Correct? Mm-hmm. Did I skip anything? I don't think I did. Not not really a whole lot. I didn't make a note on page 286 just based on, like, all the descriptions that the that the west the area of west of the uh of the misty mountains just as a whole like not counting obviously like Bree and the Shire and all that it just seems like a ruined place yeah like it doesn't seem like a place that's just like teeming with evil but it just seems like a place that's been utterly wrecked yeah i would agree with that like it just kind of seems like i th- i feel like it almost has the feel of like a post post apocalyptic thing like those shows where they say like here's what's gonna happen after all humans die and nature begins to reclaim the cities yeah kind of like that because it's like it's not post-apocalyptic because it's not like oh we're trying to like rebuild life again it's just kind of like yeah it's kind of (laughs) over yeah (laughs) the end is not nigh the end is here the end happened the end yeah we're past the end now it's just the you know it's over yeah um yeah so moving on they i guess the the last thing we really have to talk about is the angry snowy mountain yeah (laughs) yeah it's like this is actually where like where you get the sense that the mountain itself is sentient yeah and part of that kind of comes from um i'm assuming the the supposed like rock giants in the hobbit there were rock giants? I th- I thought about that too. Like someone pointed out to me that there were like these like rock giants in the Hobbit. And I'm like, did they add that like stupid thing to like the movie, like when they're crossing the Misty Mountains just before they get involved with like all the goblins. Uh-huh. But actually like there's like one line in there that basically seems to suggest that there were like rock giants. But this is kind of like a little bit different than that in that like it's not really like like giants out in the misty mountains it seems like the mountain itself is pissed off yeah that was kind of how i read it is that almost like this doesn't really seem to have anything to do with sauron as much as it's just like this is like an angry mountain yeah this is like grumble volcano from mario kart only it's not a volcano and it's snow yes yeah and they're like they're getting um snowed up to the point where it's like snowing above the hobbits faces yeah like snow is unpleasant and like just like imagining what it must be like to have to like trudge through this is just like the most like unpleasant thought ever probably mm-hmm. not ever but yeah you know, in the context of like this book it's like i man i would be the worst person to have on this trip mm-hmm um, There's a line that Boromir says just as they're deciding to go up onto the mountain that I thought was hilarious, where he says, um, I will add a, ver- a word of advice, if I may. 
I was born under the shadow of the White Mountains and know something of journeys and high places. I'm like, man, like you're mansplaining to a bunch of different men. Yeah. I don't love Boromir. <laughs> I can tell. Uh, but Boromir does actually have a good idea where he makes them take a bunch of wood with them. Yeah. So they can actually, like, have a fire. Yeah, it seems, like, ridiculous that, like, you would have to suggest that. Yeah. But I feel like Gandalf is so, like, Gandalf and Aragorn, Aragorn, not Aragorn. Stop saying Aragorn. I know. Different book. (laughs) Gandalf and Aragorn are both just, like, so, like, concerned with, like, secrecy that, like, they're like, oh, no, fire would be bad. And Boromir's like, yeah, but, I mean, you know, we're gonna die if we don't have fire, so. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um... So they end up in this, like, sad little shelter on the, shelter, with quotation marks, on the side of the cliff, where poor Bill the Pony has to, like, stand in front of the hobbits and try to, like, break the wind from them, and then the bigger people have to kind of, like, shield the hobbits a little bit. Frodo nearly succumbs to hypothermia. Yeah. And then Gandalf passes around some elf alcohol, I guess. Yeah, it's called uh, the uh, Meruvor, the Cordial of Imladris. Yes. That makes everyone feel a little bit better. Yeah, it's basically fire whiskey. Basically, yeah. (laughs) Um, And then they they make it through the night, finally, Mm -hmm. after lighting fire and burning all their fire. And then they're like, you know what? We're not getting over this mountain. Mountain winds. Let's go back. <laughs> yeah. There are so there are a few lines from like the uh from like the, the part uh where they're actually like climbing up characters that I wanted to um uh to point out. Uh one on page two not eighty-nine. Uh we cannot go further tonight, said Boromir. Let the those call it the wind who will. Uh there are fell voices on the air and these stones are aimed at us. I do call it the wind, said Aragorn, but that does not make what you say untrue. There are many evil and unfriendly things in the world that have little love for those that go on two legs and yet are not in league with Sauron, but have purposes of their own. Some have been in this world longer than he. I really like that line because too often in fiction, there's like a sense that like all evil is stemming from the opponent that the protagonist is fighting. Yeah. And I like third-party actors who are not necessarily anti-heroes but who are like straight up good or evil but who have like that only kind of like coincidentally come in or have like a completely different objective because that makes the story so much interesting and it makes it feel like you're inhabiting a world as opposed to like everything being constructed for your hero's journey yeah yeah no i agree with that i like that uh there's another uh another line um on page 290 it says a great sleepiness came over frodo he felt himself sinking fast into a warm and hazy dream he thought a fire was heating his toes and out of the shadows on the other side of the hearth he heard bilbo's voice speaking i don't think much of your diary he said snowstorms on january the 12th there was no need to come back to report that but i wanted rest and sleep bilbo frodo answered in an effort when he felt himself shaken and he came back painfully to a wakefulness frodo uh, boromir had left him lifted him off the ground out of a nest of snow and just like this like in his subconscious just like 
feeling like the shame of of what would happen if they had to go back yeah. and basically await for like Sauron to overtake the world. So I like that. Um <laughs> On page 291, it says, uh, If Gandalf would go before us with a bright flame, he might melt a path for you, said Legolas. The storm had troubled him little, and he alone of the company remained still light of heart. If elves could fly over mountains, they might fetch the sun to save us, answered Gandalf. But I might have something to work on. I cannot burn snow. Again, Legolas is a little bit of a jerk here, because like, he's clearly like unbothered by all of this. Yeah. Everyone else is, like, suffering. And Legolas is, like, sitting there with, like, his little, like, elf shoes made out of, like, I don't know, flowers or whatever they're made out of. Yeah. And he's just like, I can run on top of the snow! <laughs> I love, like, the more I read this story, the more I love Gandalf. Because Gandalf just has, like, zero patience for stupidity. Like... You know, the, the men have kind of, like, men kind of have, like, the moniker of, like, the get-it-done race mm -hmm. in Lord of the Rings. But Gandalf is, like, the most get-it-done out of all of them because it's just, like, I've got a whole bunch of stuff on my mind. I know of everything that's going on. If I don't know about it, I know how to investigate it. And you are all stupider than I am. <laughs> and I'm going to make you feel it. And you're going to trust me because you know that I'm not going to put up with your, like, stupidity. <laughs> So, I really like that. Um, yeah. You, the, you mentioned, like, the, the, the flowers shoes. It says on page 292, With that he, Legolas, sprang forth nimbly. And then Frodo noticed, as if for the first time, though he had long known it, that the elf had no boots, but only wore light shoes, as he always did, and his feet made little imprint in the snow. <laughs> Farewell, he said to Gandalf, I go to find the sun. <laughs> I mean, his good mood would piss me off so much if I had just endured the night that they endured. Because, mm -hmm. like, it seems like he's honestly, like, in a fairly good mood. Yeah. Like, I feel like I, if I were one of the hobbits, I would be like, make the elf shut up. Right. <laughs> but one of, like, I think my favorite images uh, in this chapter is, like, Boromir with his, like, apparently insanely large arms like tunneling through the snow mm -hmm. like i just find it like really funny to just imagine him with like his head down and almost like swimming through like large piles of snow yeah this was also where it occurred to me that if i were casting this movie today i would want chris hemsworth as thor to play boromir <laughs> you want thoromir thoromir yeah i actually i wrote that i wrote boromir reminds me of thor Thoromir. <laughs> of course you did. Yeah, I, well, I, on page 292 where it says, uh, where, where Gimli's saying, Ah, it is as I said, growled Gimli. It was no ordinary storm. It is the ill will of Caradhras. He does not love elves and dwarves, and that drift was laid to cut off our escape. And I wrote, Grumble Mountain. Yes. <laughs> also, apparently the mountain's only mad at the elves and dwarves. So the rest of them, had they left the elves and the elf and the dwarf behind, could have gone. Oh no, it's really the dwarf. If Gimli had not gone, like, yes, it would have been mad at everybody else, but like Legolas could have just like walked. Yeah. Just walked on top of the snow. Yeah, this is all Gimli's fault. Yeah. Way to massively overcomplicate the trip, Gimli. Yeah. 
Yeah, you want to go into the danger mines, and you got the Grumble Mountain mad at us. Yeah, this is all part of your plan, because you wanted to go down into the danger mines, and now they're going to have to go down to the danger mines, aren't they? What makes you think that? Because the next chapter is called Journey in the Dark. That sounds like danger mines. <laughs> yeah. I did want to end with the, the last um, uh, couple paragraphs from page 293 to 94, where um, I'll just read it. It says, uh, the morning was now far advanced from the, heart, from the high place. They looked back westward over the lower lands. Far away in the tumble of country that lay at the foot of the mountain was the dell from which they had started to climb the pass. Frodo's legs ached. He was chilled to the bone and hungry, and his head was dizzy as he thought of the long and painful march downhill. Black specks swam before his eyes. He rubbed them, but the black specks remained. In the distance below him, but still high above the lower foothills, dark dots were circling in the air. The birds again, said Aragorn, pointing down. That cannot be helped now, said Gandalf. Whether they are good or evil, or have nothing to do with us at all, we must go down at once. Not even the knees of Caratras will we wait for another uh, nightfall. A cold wind flowed down behind them as they turned their backs on the Redhorn Gate and stumbled wearily down the, the slope. Caratras had defeated them. It sure did. It did. It, <laughs> like, beat them up so much. Yes. So, that was the ring heading south. Yeah. Oh, they're going to go in the dark now, I guess. Yeah, now they're going to take a journey into the dark, which I'm assuming, again, is the danger mines of which we spoke. Yeah, mines of Moria. Yeah. I've heard of that. Yeah. yeah. It was in The Hobbit. Was it? Well, they didn't go in them, but they mentioned them. Oh, I have read The Hobbit a couple of times. Good. Yeah. <laughs> all right, well, I guess that's all we've got. Yeah. Oh. You can find me on, on Twitter at David Aaron Wells. I have been responsive to that. And on Facebook. I haven't posted a lot, but if you message me, I'll be like, hey, what's up? I'm still on Tumblr at Lyric Writes Things. Um, not as often as I once was, but I am still there. Yeah. If you message me, I, I will respond eventually. Yeah. Within like a day or two. We also have a Tumblr, talkingtolkien.tumblr.com. We do. We don't really update it. No. I feel bad. Yeah, me too. All right. We should do better. Probably. But we're having a baby, so we probably won't. <laughs> we, said that we had to have and conveniently have a kid while we decided to do a podcast. Well, we'll do our best to do better. All right. Thanks, y'all. Right. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.